McGee, do you think our listeners are going to stay tuned when they find out we're talking about mildew? Well, it isn't just about mildews, so I hope they'll stay tuned in. Me too. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. This time of year, it's way too many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, D. So, how does your garden grow? My garden grows with a tiny bit of snow on it this morning. When I woke up, I looked outside and I thought, that ain't right. That is simply not right. <laughs> Does that happen a lot in April in Indianapolis? No, not, not terribly often. Um, and this is one where the snow, now we're recording this at like a little after 11. The snow is pretty well all melted, maybe in the cracks of the roof or something. You'll see a little bit, but it's gotten up to 37. It's all melted. But just that, you know, wanting to wake up to a warm spring day. I'm still wanting to wake up to a warm spring day. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've only had like two here and this, we could take a moment and just say, it's really been kind of a chilly spring for much of the country this year. The people in, it has the people in Washington and Oregon are miserable. I I keep seeing them on Instagram and they're like, what kind of new hell is this? Because they keep getting snow, keep getting snow. So I don't have any snow. What did your garden? It's Easter Monday. So what did your garden look like for Easter? It looked really nice for Easter. We did it on Saturday late afternoon. It worked out with kids' nap schedules and things like that and soccer games and church schedules. That just seemed like to be the sweet spot. I had uh, a few tulips blooming, lots of daffodils, the first of the dog tooth violets that opened up. So in the course, all my pansies and violas that I planted out in pots, they were all at their peak and um, there weren't many lawn flowers, just some conodoxa, but I'll tell you what, I found out a lot about my garden with those kids running around. <laughs> I bet they went to do things that you wished they hadn't, because that's what kids do. Well, you know, I I sort of hid <laughs> eggs in the main part, and I said, there's no eggs in the vegetable garden or down the path that splits this one garden. Mm-hmm. So the most attractive thing to the kids after the hunt and after they had eaten was to run up and down that curved path through that flower bed. Yeah. They love that. Well, that's not and then so bad. They were back, no, they were back in the vegetable garden, which is fine. It's like you're, it's the parents' responsibility to watch. I'm like, there are tripping hazards back there because the landscape fabric is a little bit loose in places and the beds are edged with stone. And of course, those kids zero right in on a pile of bricks <laughs> and a pile of rocks back there. And I'm like, if you see one you like, go ahead and take it home. <laughs> bricks for everyone <laughs> yeah they enjoyed it and and so that that's the main thing the kids ran around they had a good time and so now I can think about when I'm going to mow that back lawn not anytime soon because it's so cold but mm-hmm. that was the garden this week pretty much just getting ready for Easter and having Easter yeah but you have one more update that I think is pretty important oh yes yes 
So I discovered, I think on Thursday or Friday or Sunday, Mama Robin has four eggs. And so Mm -hmm. she had a very traumatic Friday because I had to get the gutter along the back of the house replaced. So those guys were working back there Friday, which was, by the way, a beautiful day, high of 70. And then, of course, Saturday, people in and out with the egg hunt and, you know, getting food and all that. So after I realized there were four eggs in there, I thought, uh, I'm, I really am going to try to avoid using that door. Give mm-hmm. Mama Robin a break. Let her hatch her eggs. I looked up. It's going to take 12 to 14 days. So I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe, maybe she laid those on Good Friday. So probably around May 1st, I'll have little birdies in there and then they'll make a big mess. That's what There'll they be do. bird poo everywhere. And then mm-hmm. I'll clean it up when they're all flown away. But I yeah. did decide, even though I was talking tough last week, that I was not going to not use that door. Now I'm going to try to avoid it. Now you, now your, now your uh, empathy swept yeah. in. Two eggs. I didn't care. Four eggs. Okay. She's serious. She's a serious Robin. And this happens to us every year because we have house wrens that either well, almost always make a nest above the garage. And then there's one along the front of my house. And I will, I have to say they are really cute when all those babies are stuffed in that nest yeah. and they barely fit right before they fledge, but it does make a mess, but who cares? So tell us about your garden, D. You had Easter at your garden too. I did. I did have Easter and we did it on Saturday too, just because all my kids had to, two of them had to work on Sunday and there, it wasn't work that they could reschedule. So what didn't I do in the garden? I sowed more seeds for flowers like hollyhocks in my greenhouse, which they'll have to be pulled out pretty soon. I pricked out and transplanted verbena venariensis. I planted some of my pots on the deck. I kept everything watered, which is no mean feat because we had a couple of 80 degree days. I planted two tomato plants and four peppers, which it was a little early and I chanced it this morning because it got down to 36, but not for very long. And then I went to the tomato man's daughter nursery in Tulsa. And I also, while I was there, I went to Southwoods and Riddles plant farm, which are on opposite sides of town. But if you're coming from Oklahoma city, who cares? And then I garden coached my nephew, which was an absolute delight. It was so much fun to walk around with him in his beautiful new home. And he has a nice piece of land. And then I I also had another client and shout out to Suzanne. And it was a busy week in and out of the garden. So there you go. You know, I did, I did sneak back over to the greenhouse. uh, I think it was Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tuesday. First of all, I found out the owner of the greenhouse, she and her husband decided spur the moment, literally like 24 hours before they're going to fly out to Skagit, Washington, to the Skagit Valley to see all the tulips. Mm-hmm. She was leaving like within an hour, but I managed to buy just a couple more pansies to fill in a few spots. But her greenhouse is packed and the plants look like May 1st, and which is not great because it's been so cold. And she said, right. we're buying the stuff and she's telling them it's not frost tolerant, it's not frost tolerant. You got to keep it inside. And even my own little sister's like texting me on Saturday morning. I'm busy getting ready for them to come over. You think the greenhouse is going to be open tomorrow? She said, I'll just keep everything inside. I'm like, that is crazy, Bill. Do not buy that stuff yet. It'll yeah. keep. It'll keep. Don't worry about it. She planted, planted. I think, I think people get antsy when the weather gets a little better. And then we'll have one of those crashing days. Oh, I have one more piece of exciting news. 
Bill made me a tamper for my seed trays like Monty Don's. Cool. I I saw him sowing seed and I said, can you make this? He goes, of course I can. And I said, yay, thank you. And he Very did. Very nice. So do you want to move on to the next quote or the first quote? I am going to say the first quote. The real wealth of a good gardener is not his salary, but the marvelous flowers he is raising in the garden. And that's Mehmet Muratildun, a Turkish playwright. Beautiful. So I assume he is being metaphorical. Yes, metaphorical. <laughs> okay, well, you bring up the flower. This was your idea. <laughs> I get blamed for everything. That's what that's what a middle child is for. So oh, whatever. We are going to talk about mildew. And that's like the common theme through this episode. And he's making a hilarious face, which you know, I'm going to clip that and make a video. No, you are not. I might. Got all it the won't power. get shared anywhere. So we okay, wanted, go ahead. So mildew is the common theme. And so we want to talk about plants that um, succumb to mildew and some good news and some not so good news. But so for the flower, we're going to talk about primarily, we'll touch on powdery mildew first. Mm-hmm. And powdery mildew. And by the way, do you know what mildews are? I do know. They're a fungus. Yes. And they're unsightly. And so the powdery mildew, this is what shows up on the lilacs, which we have lilacs just beginning to open up here. But later in the summer, you'll have all that white powdery stuff. That is powdery mildew. And it doesn't really harm the plant, which is good. And if you don't like the looks of it, you just have to go find a a lilac that's resistant to powdery mildew. And there are some like the Meyer lilacs don't tend to get it. We don't get a lot of powdery mildew on our lilacs in Oklahoma as long as you plant them in the sun. I think it's because we have a lot of wind and, the you know, be glad we have wind in Oklahoma. I know it's really irritating, but it is really helpful. We don't have a lot of humidity in the summer and we have a lot of wind. And I think those two things keep it down. Now, peonies, which you're getting ready to talk about again, we do, we get botrytis on those really bad, which I don't think it's a powdery mildew, but it's a different thing. No, that's a different thing. So botrytis blight. Different is, disease. Yeah, it's it's more of a disease. We get powdery mildew on them, but we have humidity in Indiana. We don't have a lot of strong winds in the summertime. And so the three things that mildew needs to grow, an organic thing to live on, which would be the plant, a certain mm-hmm. range of temperatures and certain range of humidity. And we we seem to have that in abundance in Indiana. So one thing we do get mildew on powdery mildew, not downy, but powdery, um, is zinnias. Zinnias get it bad here at the very end of summer, um, even here. And what I always tell people is to plant um, a variety that is really impervious to it, which is the Oklahoma series. And you can buy those in separated colors. And so, you know, it's not, I will say this, it's not really pretty when you get powdery mildew on some of your zinnias, but it's, you know, it doesn't affect the flower. They, they still flower and they still feed butterflies and it's the end of the season. That's right. So powdery mildew, it's unsightly, but it's not generally a problem you have to do anything about, except if it really mm-hmm. bothers you, find other flowers that don't get powdery mildew. That's our best advice. But now we're going to talk about the bad mildew. Yeah, because that the other one is just irritating. This one is, this one will kill your plants. Downy mildew will kill your plants. Mm -hmm. And there are two plants 
that we commonly grow. And we'll talk about one in the vegetable section. So don't talk about it yet. But the impatience that grow in the shade and impatience wallariana, a couple of years ago, I don't remember, five or six years ago, suddenly they all came down with a bad case of downy mildew and it turns the stems to mush and those plants die. Right. And it was devastating for everybody because suddenly this great little flower that perfect for the shade and, you know, people wished a lot of shade just that was the way to get color. Suddenly it's like, Ooh, they all died. I mean, in waves of them died. Like you couldn't buy them for two years. I mean, you really couldn't. Everybody's died that one year and I would be garden coaching or speaking and people would be like, what happened to my impatience? Because people who plant impatience, they tend to plant them in the same place every year. Yep. They make a lot of bedding color and all of a sudden they were being told, well, you know what? You can switch to New Guinea impatience because New Guinea impatience were not affected by this particular disgusting mildew. Or they would say, you can plant begonias there. And people were like, I don't want those. For one thing, New Guinea impatience are much more expensive than this dear little flower impatience, Walleriana. Um, And then... On top of that, they just, they look different. And so people love that blanket of color under their trees. Yep. All of a sudden that blanket of color went away for a whole, it was at least two years. So there's good news. Very good news. There are now downy mildew resistant impatience back on the market. And the one that I've heard the most about is from Ball Horticulture. And that is the Beacon series of impatience. And I got some uh, three trial plants last spring, put them all together in a pot. And I had a huge, big mound. These were white. I had a huge, big mound of white flowers with hardly any care, not a speck of mildew on them. So I was very pleased and actually told the greenhouse, you know, you ought to get some beacon impatience. Right. I think sometimes, you know, greenhouse growers grow the same variety of plants over and over and over again, unless you tell them about it. And and what I'm thinking of in particular are in, and this has nothing to do with mildews, I'm sorry, but it has to do with growing the same old thing. So there are a series of begonias that are based on drinks, daiquiri, champagne, they have different names, right? But recently, uh, a few years ago, it may have been ball horticultural, but any one of the companies came out with a big leafed um, and big flowers. And it was called the big, you know, begonia, big begonias. And you couldn't find them anywhere. I mean, you couldn't. And then finally I found them at Lowe's. So the same idea with all of these new things, you're liable to see them at the box store before you see them at your nursery because they just don't know about them. Yeah. You know, they, they have salesmen that come and call and, and tell them about new varieties and stuff. But at my greenhouse, she keeps a running list. So if somebody comes in and asks for something that she doesn't have, she puts it on the list. And if enough people ask, then she'll add it to her order for the next year. Or the funny thing is, this is also not related. When I went back to get pansies, there was a dark sort of uh, maroonish purple with bits of gold frizzle sizzle variety. And I don't know exactly which one it was. And I says, pretty much that was all she had left. But I thought they were beautiful and I bought them. And she says, yeah, she says, I don't know if people thought they didn't look real or what, but she says, I'm going to take them off the list because they didn't sell. Right. Like, don't, I love them. Or she'll and get I, fewer of them. And I think that's complicated sometimes. I think 
um, sometimes local greenhouses aren't willing to to make a new purchase. I think she's very forward thinking um, compared to here. And so sometimes they won't try stuff. And there's another part, another one by Syngenta, which one of the cool things when I got to go to California spring trials, which I would so go again, if I could, was I got to learn about all these things and you found this information, but it's either Imera or Imera XDR series from Syngenta flowers of impatience. And you found that Imera is a Swahili word meaning resilience and XDR means extra disease resistance. Your average consumer doesn't know what this stuff is on the tags. And I think one of the things we try to do is educate people so that when they go in, they'll know what a tag means. Of course, they can also look it up online, but we try to help. We try to. And the impatience, the the impatience Wallariana is native to Tanz. Tanzania and Mozambique, which is why they use that Swahili word to describe the disease resistance, resilience. So when I go to the greenhouse to buy in patients, I am definitely looking for a named type. And we know of Beacon, we know of this um, Imara, I-M-A-R-A. We'll put links to these in the show notes. But if I see another one and it doesn't have a name variety, I'm going to maybe be a little bit hesitant because I want to know for the amount I'm going to spend on impatience that I have really picked up something that's disease resistant. I feel exactly the same way. I'm not willing to spend money on stuff that's going to die immediately when it gets in my garden. And I think, you know, doing a little research and if you could do the research, I know it's just so easy to run to your local nursery and grab some plants. But if you are a serious gardener and you research a little bit early and you let your nursery know, your local nursery know, a lot of times they'll be really glad to grow that impatient or that begonia or whatever for you. Um, They're really good about that, especially the smaller nurseries. They are. Now, here's the thing. So in the past, they knew that people bedded out impatience. And and so you could buy a flat that had like 36 in there, which is a ton of little plants. When it comes to these beacon and these uh, uh, Imera, I don't think you're going to find little flats full of 36. These are going to be like four packs or maybe even six packs. And they're probably going to cost a little bit more because they're now a name variety type of thing. And certain amount of money went into, you know, breeding to get the disease resistance. So I don't know that these are going to be the cheapest impatience on the market, but I think these will be for the money, a sure bet. I think buying a sure bet, especially with impatience is a good idea. And you've got some of your information about these mildews from Northern Gardener Magazine. So we thought we'd give them a shout out. Um, They had an article on mildew resistant impatience from 2020. And um, it's just a good magazine. We'll talk about it again in a minute when we talk about our veggies. Yeah. And if you garden anywhere that's got, you know, I'll say winter, the Northern Gardener is a great magazine. It's put out by the Minnesota Horticultural Society. And they always have some great articles in there, much, a lot of good, interesting stuff. And it relates, you, it would still relate to you somewhat too, but it's I a good it. magazine. And there, there aren't that many gardening magazines out there. So we need to support them. We do. Ready for the next quote? Go for it, Dee. Transplanting is part of a garden's good discipline. This is from George Washington Cable. He was an American author of The Amateur Garden in 1914. 
So when it comes to these mildews, Downy Mildew mm-hmm. did a number on basils. Oh, it did. It was a huge problem. Well, <laughs> but before we get too far into it, let's give a shout out to another magazine that we both really enjoy. And that is American Gardener. And kind of what prompted this is they had an article about these basils and the disease resistance. And of course, Northern Gardener had an article as well, because it's it's a big topic trying to come up with these uh, mildew resistant basils. It is. American Gardener Magazine is put out by the American Horticultural Society, and um, you have to be a member in order to get the magazine, although they sometimes have some of the articles free online. Um, But you can either have a print magazine or you can download um, a PDF if you are a member. And we should all be members. I just re-upped my membership this year. So I would say both of these magazines are more scholarly than, say, a Meredith publication that is not talking down about Meredith. Meredith is more for the average um, homeowner who has a landscape. We should say Meredith is the publisher of Better Homes and Gardens, for example. And several special interest magazines, um, some of which have to do with gardening. And once upon a time, they also did Country Gardener magazine, but um, it's gone. And so more and more of these are gone, but the scholarly articles, if you want to learn about plant trials, like I was reading today in the American Gardener, I was reading about, um, I'm going to go look so I don't forget. Oh, I was looking at Baptisias. Yeah. And I was reading all about the Baptisia trials at the Chicago Botanic Garden and the difference between the natives and the, and the cultivars. So that was interesting. And we're going to talk about basil from the point of view, even though we talk about basil a lot because we both love basil. It's one of our favorite things. Um, We're going to talk about the fact that there are now some new disease resistant varieties. Yes. And so the first one that came out on the market that I became aware of was a basil basil from proven winners. Huge plant grows huge, huge plant, huge plant, very healthy plant because it is disease resistant. And then there's also the uh, a line called the Prospero. Yes. And that is a play on, this is really geeky. So the disease that downy mildew causes is called Peronospora. Okay. And so Prospera, they took Peronospora and prosperity and put that into one word called Prospera. Those plants. And you can buy, <laughs> you can buy seeds. For Prospera basil. Mm-hmm. And you have to buy the seed. It's certified and protected internationally by plants, plant breeders' rights. And so they make sure the seed is, you know, the seed. The seed. And then we both love emerald, Everleaf Emerald Towers basil. Yeah, I think it's cute. It looks like a shrub. It does. And it's it's considered intermediate in terms of mildew resistance because I, I looked that up to be sure. And Botanical Interest has seeds for this and we'll include a, an affiliate link if somebody wants to go and buy some seeds. And you have plenty of time to sow seeds for these. They're, they're not frost tolerant at all. No. And they're fairly fast growing. So you could grow seeds. D, I could start seeds now. There's no rush on these. You could even plant them directly in the garden, which I used to do. But now I usually start them inside because I want bigger plants faster. 
Yeah. And you can, if you say, oh, I just don't really want to mess with seeds. Well, first of all, don't be so lazy, people. Mess with seeds. Just kidding. Burpee actually sells the plants. If you want to mail order the plants, although they're a bit pricey, yeah. um, seeds is the better way to go. Because they're not, you don't always find them at the garden centers. You don't. You can almost find, always find regular basils like Genovese in, uh, at Bonnie Plants. Uh, but the truth is, the reason that I think that they're so expensive for Burpee to send them is they're really, really brittle. Uh, basil is a very brittle plant, especially when it's young, and to ship it would be hard. So just grow yeah. some seed. <laughs> It's not that hard. I wouldn't hard. call it brittle. I call it fragile. I mean, it's the stems just snap off real easy, is what I was. Yeah, thinking. the stems snap off easily, which is good. And the thing is about um, the Everleaf Emerald Towers is it's late to flower because flowering is what causes the leaves to turn bitter, and then it's kind of like the flowers aren't much to look at anyway. So you really don't want your basil's to flower. Not if you're going to eat them. I guess if you want them for your bees then they're okay. But I grow African basil for the bees. I grow regular basil for me. And then I grow holy basil and a purple basil. And I can't, I know holy basil never gets downy mildew, but I can't speak to any of the purple ones. I don't know. But we'll leave links to the articles in Northern Gardener and American Gardener. So our listeners can get a feel for the types of articles that they have and might be interested in subscribing to one or both. And now I'm going to do another quote to take us into books. You can't get up too early if you have a garden. And that's Charles Dudley Warner, author of My Summer in a Garden from 1871. Which is a great book. And we've talked about it before. So we've been talking a lot about growing vegetables in, and flowers in smart pots. And we have a link, an affiliate link to smart pots. But um, I wanted to talk about this little book that is on Amazon. And it's by, I think it's self-published by a lady. But she did a pretty darn good job. So if you're wanting to get into grow bag gardening, the name of the book is Grow Bag Gardening by Lily Woods. It is on Amazon as a paperback, a Kindle on Kindle or hardback. I looked at it on Kindle because I have Kindle Unlimited. So I got it for free. And these are my thoughts about it. It was pretty good and it was easy to follow. And she was really good in the Kindle edition with lots and lots of links to her information where she got her source information, which I thought was good. You know, she didn't take anybody's info. The best tip I got out of the whole thing was to use a stool as you plant because it takes the pressure off your back because those grow bags are just the right size that you're in this weird bent over position. And so she was like, just sit on a stool. And I thought, okay, that's freaking obvious, but I've never done it. I always just bend over and do it. And then my back hurts. So I'm going to sit on a stool as I plant and move that stool around. You're, you're crazy. I, you know, sometimes I think it's, well, it's, it's old ladies that sit on stools to garden and we're not old ladies right. yet. So we can't be sitting on stools, but you know, it doesn't matter. You could be 20 years old and have a back problem. So yeah. Yeah. If there's a better, yeah. better way to do it. Doesn't matter what age you are, just do it the better way. And uh, the lady who wrote this is named Lily Woods. She's also written a, <laughs> a drinks, a book on drinks that have to do with Harry Potter themes, which is funny because the last night I saw that newest Dumbledore movie. So I had to laugh. Anyway, it was a good book. It was very clear, easy to read, well-researched um, for somebody who's just starting out. And if you got Kindle Unlimited, it's free. Very good. So that is Grow Bag Gardening by Lily Woods. 
On to the next quote, D. I will be the gladdest thing under the sun. I will touch a hundred flowers and not pick one. Edna St. Valet, St. Vincent Millay. I can't say her name. <laughs> she's a modern poet and she's an American poet. And I like that quote. That is a good quote. Our dirt is, and it's not much to this dirt or whatever, but I was cruising on this other website for Chronicle yes. Books. And they've got a they've got a new book for or a new book. Game. No, they've got a game called Can You Dig It? And this, of course, it's all full of puns. Let us play. Funny. It says there's never a dull, there's never a dill moment in this absolutely radishing game of can you dig it? In this fast-paced card game, gardeners use trowel and air to harvest fruit and veg from the four community plots <laughs> to develop the most impressive feast by the end of the game. <laughs> and it goes on, and it just looks kind of like fun, and I'm tempted. But I, can ne- I would never be able to find four people to play this game with me because I, at one time I had like a little collection of games with a gardening theme, so I have the gardening Scrabble, and I have the gardening version of Monopoly, but nobody ever wants to play. I think they think I'll have some big advantage, but I wouldn't. Not on something like this because it's a card game, but it's a good, they say it's a good family game. And while you were talking, I looked up, it's it's suitable for ages eight plus. So eight to adults. And I think it would be kind of fun. Yeah. So it has has an average 20 minute gameplay. So, (laughs) which is about my attention span for card games. Exactly. And I'll, I'll have to admit, I'm not much into board and card games. I mean, if I know how to play certain ones. I don't know how to play bridge. That was my mom's game. Um, but it just kind of looked fun. So we'll leave a link to so people can see. And we'll put an Amazon link on there in case somebody thinks that is just exactly the game I was looking for for my family. Or your grandchildren. I mean, it would be a great game to have, grand, you know, when it's hot outside, it'd be fun to play. That's true. All right. I'm going to dig into our next quote. Get it? When I go into my garden with a spade and dig a bed, I feel such an exhilaration and health that I discover that I have been defrauding myself all this time in letting others do for me what I should have done with my own hands. Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's great. And I think you should do the first rabbit hole because it explains where all our quotes came from today. So I got all of our quotes today from a book that is done by Teresa Watkins, who is a friend of ours who's down in Orlando, Florida. It's called A Garden, A Gardener's Compendium, Volume 3, Gardening with the Senses. There's also a Volume 1 and a Volume 2, and I think she might be working on a Volume 4. They're all available on Amazon. But this book is just full of quotes and little stories and things that she's pulled out of the past, so to speak. And if you just want to sit down and browse through them, they're kind of fun and you never know what you're going to end up with. That's really cool. I like it. So that, that gave, so the rabbit hole part of this whole thing is I thought I tied that in with, I found this podcast called Lost Ladies of Lit. And they talk about books by women authors that have been forgotten in time. And some of them are forgotten because they actually had to write under a man's name in order to get published. I was going to say, because they were women, they're lost because they were women lost. The time. Well, you know, that maybe they had one or two books or whatever. And so they just unearthed these interesting things. And I thought, well, here's a rabbit hole for me. 
lost ladies of garden writing. And I was trying to think about people from the past that you pick up an odd book here and there of an author you've never heard of. Right. And then you're down the rabbit hole. Like Ida Bennett was a book. I picked up a couple of her books. Nobody ever talks about Ida Bennett. She wrote gardening backs books back in the early 1900s. So that's kind of my rabbit hole. And I'll link to that podcast in case anybody else is interested. Yeah. And Dee's looking at a book by Grace Tabor. Yeah. Is it Grace Tabor? Yeah. Grace Tabor. She was another one that was. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about Grace. Nobody talks about Grace Tabor. And she wrote a ton of um, gardening books. And this one is um, making the grounds attractive with shrubbery that I found. And inside it has a lady's name, but this is another reason women got forgotten. She signed her own book, Mrs. C something like Warren or something like that. I can't read her writing that well. And it's actually written with a pen and ink, but she's, she doesn't even have, it's her own book and she didn't write her own name in here. She is. Oh yeah. You always wrote, you know, Mrs. John Smith. Nobody ever, you know, you weren't like. Nobody thought about that stuff back then. But now when I look back on all the old gardening plates where people won stuff, I mean, if, if we still did that, mine would say Mrs. William K. Nash. I would be like, but (laughs) I wouldn't do that now. So I don't know who those women are. Anyway, I can't wait for you to do this. I think it's awesome. Well, there's one other one I'll mention. Alice Quackenbush. Yes. Miss, Miss Quackenbush. And I, I have one of her books and I, I bought it used off online and I opened it up and it was one she had signed and for her typist slash secretary. I'm thinking, that would be worth something more because Alice signed it. Alice signed it to her secretary. That's exactly. cool. I, I can't wait for you to do this. Okay. I'll see what I come up with. So my rabbit hole was about ice cubes that don't melt or grow mold. I thought it went with our theme today. It's a mold. It, it does go with our theme. <laughs> Instead of mildew. I'm still wrapping my head around ice cubes that don't melt. It is the weirdest thing. So they've they discovered how to do this at UC Davis, and they don't look really appetizing at all, but they're made to be reusable, like when you have to bring stuff at a party. And like for people who are caterers, they would be great, right? Um, they were they're reusable, they can be rinsed off and refrozen. They can be used up to five times, and they were developed after a researcher noticed mold growing in the ice at her fish market, and she thought there has got to be a better way. So they are now working to make them from farming waste products, and um, that would make them sustainable. I'm trying to make them sustainable. So anyway, we're going to link to that article because it's bizarre, um, and it actually apparently works. And by the way, nice tie-in to our overall topic, D. Nice tie-in. You know, it was just one of those deals. It just happens that way a lot. Have you noticed? It does. So let's move on to our garden commissions. This week, I have no idea with this weather. I think I'm going to go out and try to pull out dandelions. They might be frozen back into the ground. I don't know. Might plant a second row of peas and radishes that just kind of puts along and do little bitty garden chores. I don't have anything big planned. Okay. That sounds like a good start. And I hope you get weather for it. I was looking at my watch because we're up to 52 degrees now, finally. So I'm going to go out and finish up the pots on the back deck and start seriously moving all of the plants out of the greenhouse. I think we're okay for that. 
And I need to, I moved the ones that were most stressed yesterday. I hope those African basils made it through our low. Um, African basil and Salvia's Wendy's Witch were just about all they could have of the greenhouse. And so I moved both of them. I'm going to move out the pelargoniums today and put them on the stage on the north side of my log cabin. I'm also planting out my tomatoes and peppers in the smart pots this week. And I bought some marigolds to plant out there too, because I forgot to sow any seed. Silly me. And it's also time to mow our yard. We will also put the watering system in the upper pasture and set it on timers. And then this week we will start putting the timers for all of the pots, which is quite a to-do. It takes us a couple of days, a couple of evenings. I can imagine. But we will get that done. And once we get that done, then we can go on vacation whenever we want, which is really nice. And then all Claire has to water when she comes and stays is the pelargoniums. That's pretty good. That sounds very good. And I, I have to laugh because I did watch Gardener's World yesterday. I did too. Mon- Monty talked about the plants that they're going to move into the greenhouse for the summer to grow tomatoes, melons. I'm just laughing because they have to have a greenhouse to grow those things to keep the heat on. Right. Cause there's not enough heat during the day to get it up high enough. And also you need that sustained heat at night that they'll get from the greenhouse during the day because their night times go back down because they're maritime climate. And so unlike here where we get that sustained heat, pretty much 24 seven, they don't get that. So they have to have melons, cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes, all of those have to be grown in the greenhouse. I've seen it. It's the most bizarre thing. It is the most bizarre thing, but that's it for this week's episode. We want to thank you for listening to the garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share your podcast with our, no, with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get out the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.